3: Like Kobe in the fourth course. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you late on Sunday night. Timberwolves lose to the Los Angeles Clippers 124-105. That score, per usual, is not indicative of what the result was. It was once a 38-point Clippers lead tonight. And as the Wolves do, they whittled it, they whittled it down to under 20 points. And this got me to look up what what is the Timberwolves plus minus in fourth quarters this year because it always seems like they come back. And this, this this is the most ridiculous stat I've ever said. The Timberwolves have been outscored by 458 points this season in the first, second, and third quarters combined this season. But now in the fourth quarter, 58 fourth quarters this season, the Timberwolves have actually outscored their opponent by 25 points. Yes, the 15... What is the Wolves' record now? 15 and 43. They've Won 15 games, but they've outscored their opponents by 25 in the fourth quarter. That's just like... Chef's kiss. Perfect Timberwolves stat. Plus 25 in fourth quarters. Minus 458 in quarters one through three. That's nuts. The frequency in which the Timberwolves have been blown out this season, so as to make that stat possible is... Crazy, crazy. But the Wolves did beat the Miami Heat on Friday. They had their one good win this week. But the other three games were just intense blowouts. On Tuesday, they played Brooklyn without Harden and Kyrie. And they were at one point down by 45 in that game. On Wednesday, they played Milwaukee without Giannis and were down by 30 at one point in that game. And tonight, they played the Clippers and were down by 38 at one point in that game obviously those are three of the best teams in the league but to not even I mean to not even be able to remotely stay in the conversation with them is it's a bit alarming it's just asked like it makes you ask you know how, how far away is this team you know what why does this happen what what goes into that I think that's the question and and this is what Chris Finch had to say tonight when asked about that post game
2: well, I just told him, like, we play these, you know, we play these top teams. Like, we just, we're not, there's not enough fight in us right now. You know, we come out, we just want to play alongside of them. We, we got to come out. They're not going to beat themselves. They're way too good. So we got to, you know, we got to make them feel us earlier in the game. It's everything's too, way too comfortable for them.
1: Go ahead. Chris, that, that fight also in the rebounding, I mean, the way they just kind of dominated there, especially in the first half to, to get themselves extra opportunities
2: as well. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, they just, they kind of pushed us around everywhere. Um, you know, not good, not really good enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you, uh, when you don't see that fight, I mean, is there any, is there anything you can do in the middle of a game to try and try and rouse that? Or is it, that's got to come from within them?
2: Yeah, I mean, we called timeouts, we switch mm-hmm. defense, I got, you know, I got lineup out there. Had a little bit more fight that second unit for a little bit. We got the game back to 34-31. And then a couple bad shots, empty possessions. I think we missed a layup and it was three, you know, three ball, three ball, three ball at the other end of the floor. And then it was a 12-point game. And, you know, then we just let go of the rope.
3: It certainly was three ball, three ball, three ball tonight. The Clippers made twenty-one of the forty-two threes they took. That's obviously fifty percent. And, you know, and people do this so like. Oh, that was, that was just a bad three-point shooting luck night. I, I hate that, the the adjusted luck defensive numbers with three-point percentage. I mean, I, I know there's some truth to that. And, and some teams over the course of this season, it, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why are their three-point numbers lower or higher or whatever? But that is not what's going on here with the Timberwolves. I mean, sometimes teams make an inordinate, inordinate amount of threes and sometimes they're lucky, but that's what you. Th- if you're thinking about that after tonight's game, you're you're wrong. I mean, it wasn't bad luck. The, the Clippers have made 42% of their three pointers this season. All season, they're a good three-point shooting team. And the Timberwolves, since Chris Finch took over, have allowed 41.9% of nearly 900 three-point attempts taken over the Finch era. I mean, the Clippers making 50% of their threes tonight is is not luck. I mean, that is just. That is just a movable object meeting an unstoppable force. The Wolves rank dead last in three-point percentage against, under Finch. Not because they're unlucky, but because they're bad at defending the three-point line. They're bad at rotating, and they're bad at defending the line as a whole. And they they give up a ton of them. John Krasinski actually asked Chris Finch about this prior to the game, prior to the Clippers shooting 50%, because... You know, this is you looked at the numbers and going into tonight's game and this almost seemed predictable. the, The way Finch described it before the game is he attributes a lot of the Wolves overall lack of three point defense to not contesting shots at high enough of a level. Hey, Chris,
1: uh, the Clippers are, I think, the best three-point shooting team in the league, by percentage at least. Um, you know, with the way that you guys have operated defensively, do you do anything differently against a team that is this good? Or how, how do you kind of approach it that way?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, good question, John. Like, um, I still think it start, uh, starts from uh, being able to shore up your paint defense. They, they they generate a ton of drive and kick. I think the most drive and kick threes in the league. Uh, and then they're also really good just dribble threes. like. Paul George will just, you know, dribble three, right, create his own three right over top of you with their size. So try to keep some size on their star guys if we can um, and try to just lock up the paint. And if, if they make tough shots over us, then that's what we're willing to live with.
1: How, how, how much have these guys, I, I guess, come along in terms of contesting and, and getting out to, you know, when you're trying to take that pain away, then it's still being able to scramble out and contest and make them take a tough shot?
2: Yeah, I think the scramble out part is there, but the contest, the meaningful contest is probably not where we needed to be just yet, John. We're there, and I think we feel like we have a hand up, but it's probably not impactful enough for some of this great shooting. So we got to get a little bit better contested tonight. shot contest is going to be huge. I mean, I've said this to the guys from the day that I got here. A lot of NBA defense comes down to your level of shot contest, you know and and you just you gotta you gotta when you think you've contested well, you gotta contest harder because you know a lot of times with these guys you're not in their field of vision soon enough to bother them.
3: Another interesting part of that clip, right is Finch again in asserting that you know the focus is paint defense. he He said this time and again since he took over and you know it's clear not only in Finch's words but in like the team's results that guarding the paint guarding the rim has been a priority if you, if you run through the numbers the biggest positive in in the Wolves defense under Finch is that you know is that they're an average defensive team at the rim guarding shots at the rim teams have only made 65.6% of their shots against the Wolves in the 25 games under Finch that's basically league average, which sounds good. I mean, that's certainly a sound analytical strategy. That's because the rim is a profitable area. Limit that. That that makes some sense. But the catch here, unfortunately, is that this was rim defense was already statistically an area the Wolves were pretty good at defending under Ryan Saunders. They actually ranked 12th in the league in rim defense under Saunders, allowing only 62.4% shooting from that area, which means the Wolves have actually gotten noticeably worse in terms of rim defense under Finch. And that's a bad thing. That's concerning because more resources, more attention has been paid to defending the rim since Finch took over. And, you know, that comes at a cost. The problem there is that, you know, by attempting to take away the rim, right, you're sacrificing elsewhere, and the Wolves' three-point defense has absolutely cratered Since Finch took over and the mid-range defense is cratered too. And opponents are actually making 47% of their long mid-range shots against the Wolves under Finch. That's a bad number from mid-range. And again, I don't want to hear that that's luck either. I mean, that's allowing open mid-range shots. And yeah, the mid-range might be a quote-unquote bad shot. But if it's open, you know, this isn't a small sample. Like Teams are going to make close to half of the open mid-range shots. That 47% from mid-range, from long mid-range under Finch is way up, way worse than the 40% it was under Saunders. Well, the, the Wolves might rank 17th in rim defense. They, they ranked 27th in the league against long mid-range shots and 30th, dead last, in three-point defense under Finch. That's that's actually a pretty substantial defensive regression in the half court from where they were at with Saunders. Under Saunders, they ranked 12th at the rim. That was better. They ranked 12th against mid-range shots. That was better. And they ranked 19th against three-point shots. That was noticeably better. Now, the Wolves were a mess under Saunders in transition defense. And that cost them. That cost Saunders there. In part, you know, cost the defense. But in the half court, they they were solid defensively. Under Finch, the Wolves have been very bad at almost everything on defense. Maybe slightly better in transition defense. But overall... The defense has gotten worse. On the other hand, the Wolves offense is operating far more analytically sound under Finch than it did under Saunders. I want to get into some of the numbers on that, and we will do that right after a quick break. I'm not sure about you, but I'm taking a rain check on spring cleaning this year. Freshening up for the season with comfort instead, with some sheets, with some towels, some loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. And with their birthday sale happening this weekend, Brooklinen is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for their biggest sale of the year. Brooklinen was founded by husband and wife Duo, Rich and Vicky, with the goal to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that don't break the bank. By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every time and at a fraction of the retail price. That means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklinen is so confident you'll love everything. they will give you a 365-day warranty. They've even got 75,000 five-star reviews. It's hard to argue with that. Get everything you need for a fresh spring during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop Brooklinen's birthday sale going on this weekend. And if you're listening to this podcast after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE. My last name to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's brooklinen.com and enter the promo code more to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. So on the other side of the floor, the Timberwolves offensive strategy has made more sense under Chris, Chris Finch than it did under Ryan Saunders. Since Finch took over, the Timberwolves are shooting the second highest frequency in the league of shots in the restricted area. Nearly 40% of their looks come at the rim. That is very good. They also rank dead last in mid-range volume. In mid-range volume. I said that weird. That They only take 23% of their shots from mid-range. That's a, a reasonable, that's a very good percentage of shots to take. You're not going to cut them out completely, but you want, you want to keep that number low. That's good. And in three-point volume, they're 11th. That's, you know relatively high, that's a, that overall, that's a, that's a very clean shot chart. theglass.com has a stat called location effective field goal percentage, which basically just grades your, your shot selection based on where you're shooting from and, and in comparison to the rest of the league based on league averages and under Finch, the Wolves have the best grade in the entire league in their shot selection since Finch took over. Their shot selection was pretty clean under Ryan Saunders. They were 5th at the rim, 21st from mid-range, and 15th from 3. But Finch has really turned up the volume at the rim and in the 3-point volume, and he's turned it down in the mid-range too. That's a win. Unfortunately, one player that this hasn't really showed up in is Anthony Edwards. Edwards is, is shooting a noticeably, if you just look at his numbers, in the split of the Saunders time versus the Finch time, like... Edwards's percentages are way up, but his shot selection overall is almost exactly the same. Under Saunders, 38% of his shots came at the rim. Under Finch, it's 40, basically the same. Under Saunders, 23% of his shots came from the mid-range. Under Finch, 21%. And under Saunders, 38% of his shots came from three. And under Finch, it's that same 38%. Those are just frequencies. So I think in ways that sounds like a bad thing, but really it's room for an opportunity, you know? I I guess I think back to, you know, to Andrew Wiggins in in the time, I guess the, well, the time before his last season here where he really did iron out his shot selection in, in that last season before he was traded. And, you know, it didn't, completely changed who Andrew Wiggins was, but he became a more efficient player. There's opportunity for Ant, you know, to do that himself next season. Obviously Ant shoots a large volume of shots, large volume of the Wolves overall shots. So for, you know, it's kind of crazy that the Wolves have as clean of a shot selection or shot chart, considering that Edwards takes a bunch of their shots and he doesn't have a very clean shot chart himself. But that, that also... You know, hints at a major area of growth for the team as a whole. I mean, Edwards is going to be a 15 to 20 shot a game guy next season. And if he is able to boost that number of, you know, taking 40% of his shots at the rim to 50% of his shots at the rim, and he cuts down even further on that mid range volume, cuts down a little bit on the three point volume, because that's not his most effective area. I mean, his individual offense will grow. And the Wolves offense as a whole will also grow. And is never going to be, you know, right. Nas Reed is the example on the Wolves of like the perfectly clean shot chart. The Gerson Rosas only take shots at the rim and from three. You know, tonight, actually, Nas, Nas took his first mid-range shot of his, of his entire, you know, his entire career. It was a little 18 footer that he missed. Nas is now taken. I looked this up. He's taken 699 shots in his career. And only one of those 699 is from mid range, which makes it sound like he's DeAndre Jordan or something, but not. Nas takes like a third of his shots from three. He's taken 232 three point attempts in his career. It doesn't make sense that he's never taken a mid ranger until tonight. I mean, The way Nas does that, right, is he's been given basically like two things to do offensively. Be a floor spacer on the pop or be a really hard roller on the catch and dive. And, you know, and with that, you know, Nas isn't lights out shooting. He's made 34% of his 135 three-point attempts this season. It's not great. But when you factor that in with the fact that he's been a high volume and pretty effective role, man. I mean, and it's in a clean shot chart. Like he starts to become a positive offensive piece. I mean, Nas and Jordan McLaughlin, those of you remember, or I've been watching, I mean, they have pumped that pick and roll when those two are on the floor, you know, this, this year, it's been when those two are out there, it's pick and roll over and over again. And for that reason, you know, Nas is, Nas is a backup center. But he is ninth in the NBA in overall pick and roll volume. The only players in the league who have ran more pick and rolls this year are eight guys: Bam Adebayo, Rashawn Holmes, Rudy Gobert, Chris Boucher, Nikola Jokic, Clint Capella, Nikola Vucevic, and Demontis Sabonis. Those are those are the highest volume you know pick and roll. Guys. That's who you think of when you think of pick and roll, and Nas is right there with those guys. And they play twice as many minutes, and he's at the same overall, like total possessions of volume. The one interesting, I think, added wrinkle to this, to to Nas, given that, you know, he's playing more, he's playing more with the starters, he's playing more next to Cat. And with that, you know, he's starting to play with a better pick and roll player than Jordan McLaughlin. He's with D'Angelo Russell. And early in tonight's game, we saw that. It looked good. I mean, while the game was still a game, you know, Nas and Dilo hooked up on a clean pick and roll that led to a big, one of those big Nas dunks. I asked Nas about that kind of synergy he's finding with Dilo and, you know, what he sees for, you know, potential of growth in that pairing. And then I also asked him about his first mid range jump shot. Now, as the pick and roll has been a big part of your game this year and in, in rolling and attacking, you had that with J Mac at the beginning of the year. Now you, you're playing next to Delo some. How do you feel that that pairing, how are you feeling yourself in that pairing reading off of each other and, and having him find you on the roll?
2: That's big. You just got to learn your point guards and learn your other teammates. Um, you know, sometimes they might snake back and you might have to delay a roll, or sometimes they might attack and you can pop. And it. it's just reading, reading your players, uh, reading your teammates in. You know, this is working with them. And, you know, I work with D and J Mag and sometimes Ricky on, on those things. So.
3: And then you shot your first career mid range jump shot tonight, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. How did that feel? Oh, so weird. Um, something I wasn't used to, but I almost went in. So. <laughs> Thanks, man.
3: All of us who have watched Nas play this year, right? We've, we've seen a clear growth and just kind of added burst in his athleticism this season. I mean, he's, he's become a serious dunker. And, you know, with that watching that, I've been kind of, I've been tempted to ask him about his weight, you know, and just, I've, I've stayed away from it because, you know, weight questions are weird, but he actually offered it up tonight, like unsolicited, just kind of talking about his athleticism. And he said, he said that he's down 30 pounds this season. And I mean, it, doesn't matter how tall you are; like thirty pounds is a lot, and in it's something that when you, that's mostly fat or water weight or whatever. I mean that has a huge impact on your athleticism. I always love the the Ethan Strauss quote that fat is just potential in disguise in basketball, and Nas Reed is he's kind of living proof of that this season. What I think is. When I think about this, like slim down, Nas. It used to be the idea, right, that oh, if Cat and Nas are going to play together, you know, this it needs to be a big team that they're playing against. Well, they played a big team tonight and got absolutely blasted when both Cat and Nas were out there. When they were out there by themselves, like the Wolves do not have the physicality, even with that big lineup, to be able to you know contain a big guy like Aviiza Zubats. I mean, the Wolves. Big picture here, like, if we didn't already know this, getting blown up by Zubots is just a clear sign that if they fancy themselves a playoff team next year, or in a playoff series, like, and they're going to play the Clippers in the playoff series, or the Suns, or the Nuggets, or the Lakers, like, you're going to get killed by Zubots or Aiton, or Jokic, or Anthony Davis. Not because Cat, like, can't guard them at all, but because he gets in foul trouble when he does. I mean, Cat picked up three early in tonight's game. And we also know that Nas isn't the answer there, and in a weird way, he's starting. To, Nas is starting to make more sense against almost smaller lineups. Like, I I actually think the the best team to play him against is the teams that don't have a true big body center. And then you can use the cat and non pairing almost as an advantage. Like I, I think the Kings, these next two games are a perfect example of that. Right? we saw when it was Delos first came back when the Wolves played the Kings and they won that game. We saw that Wancho couldn't guard Harrison Barnes because Harrison Barnes is was was too strong as like a wing type power forward. You know, Jaden McDaniels, he he couldn't guard him, Culver couldn't guard him, Wancho couldn't guard him. And then eventually Finch went to having cat guard Harrison Barnes. And then Nas is on Rashawn Holmes. Well, that just works a lot better than, I mean, you still want to get McDaniels out there, of course, but that works. Cat and Nas against Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes works so much better than Cat and Wancho. Because Wancho, you can't put on Holmes. Nas, Nas is at least strong enough to be able to handle him there. And you can't put Wancho on Harrison Barnes. So you got to put Cat on him there. So it, that, those are the guys that I think, or those are the type of teams, the type of front courts that it makes sense to play Cat and Nas together against. It certainly worked, certainly worked last time. All right, that's all I got for you tonight. Uh, the next two games are against the Kings in Sacramento on Tuesday and Wednesday. They are certainly winnable games for the Wolves. I mean, we're not at the point where we have to care about wins, really. The Wolves with this loss tonight. Um, They moved back into last place in the league in winning percentage. So even if they somehow won both games against Sacramento, they would still be in the bottom three with Houston and Detroit there. Again, Orlando.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: You kind of have to worry about for that four spot that isn't even that big of a deal. But Orlando is three and a half games ahead of, you know, the Wolves. Like the Wolves have to win. Wolves are going to have to kind of win a lot to start worrying about their odds in this lottery shifting at all. So there's no reason for them not to get back on track against the Kings. There's no reason for them not to, you know, want to get back on track. Cat, if you watch the game, he banged his knee and... Kind of got pulled in the fourth quarter, but he said after the game, um, Finch said it was just a need anything, and Cat said he's good. So I mean, I don't know. That that sounds like he should for sure play, but would I be surprised if he misses one of the Tuesday game with the knee bruise? I you know, I don't know. We we will see. The injuries are always a, a mystery with this team. But I will talk to you after that Kings game on Tuesday night. Until then, I'm Dane.